Hello and welcome to They Behave For Me, a podcast brought to you by me, Adam Boxer. And me, Amy Forrester. We're going to be covering all things education, policy, curriculum, teaching and learning and much more. And we're going to be coming to you every Friday afternoon to take you into the weekend. They Behave For Me is powered by Carousel Learning, an innovative online learning platform that aims to boost your students' memory and help you strategically plan for retrieval practice over time. It does homework, it does classwork, it does detailed analytics and feedback and is guaranteed to reduce your workload. To be like the thousands of teachers already using Carousel and find out more, go to www.carousel-learning.com. That's www.carousel-learning.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to hit subscribe so you can hear us every week. The best way to support us is by sharing the love. So if you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy They Behave For Me, please do feel free to let them know about us. All right then, let's dive straight in, Adam. You were at a conference last week, were you? Yes, I was. Yeah. Um, I think I was I'd a... gone back to work by that point. I was back in school and I was like, where's Adam off to? Right, so we finished quite late. We finished like two days before. We finished on Friday, like two days before Christmas. Oh, ouch. So, well, I mean, it depends which way you cut it. Um, you know, it's my, whatever. I mean, I, I don't mind finishing late um, and then starting late in turn. Um, but it means we only went back to school this week. Um, and the, the new school year has hit me like a train, by the way. <laughs> like, hello, I'm here. Yeah. yeah, it was like I did. I was at school for a full day on Monday. Um, so that was a 13-hour day. Nice. And then this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and school was full full teaching the whole way through. Uh, and then today I, I had full teaching plus year 11 special after school session and then straight into my first parents evening. So I'm <laughs> zonked. <laughs> so you're on another planet this evening. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but yes, it, what it did mean is that last week I was able to go to the ASE conference, which is the ASC stands for Association on, of Science edu Educators? Education? Uh, I mean, that sounds about right. I'm going to be honest. Like, yeah, I'll go with yeah. that. I'm not going to correct you. I, I don't know. Whatever. I, I don't know. I was, there for, I was there for a couple of days, Thursday, Friday last week, um, with both my carousel and my springboard science hat, because we actually launched springboard science there last week on Thursday, which was really nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was very exciting. Um, oh, and also, while, while, while I mentioned Carousel, someone told us off because um, I keep, we keep saying www.carousel-learning.com and no one really does the www.anymore. dot anymore. Are we just old school? Well, the problem is my, my GCSE and ICT was 2006. And as far as I'm concerned, no computing thing has ever changed since then. So, No, I'm, I'm, I'm 2004. You did? Actually, did you I don't do even think... Did you do well, ICT? I don't... No, I didn't do it at GCSE. We had like a couple of lessons a week where we got to see a computer. And oh, uh, so well, that would be about 2002, maybe. We we had proper computers and we used to do, um, if, you hold, if you hold Alt-Shift and NumLock, um, it turns on sticky keys and it goes, whoop, like that. And, <laughs> right. But, but the whoop is, is lagged slower than the button press so what you could do is you could hold alt shift and numlock for like 10 seconds and it would go whoop, 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 for about a minute <laughs> so we had these like <laughs> these beautiful amazing like, everyone's like oh yeah that's from the computers and we just trashed the damn things you just made noises nice yeah, yeah. um anyway um well, what was the uh, people were taking the mickey out of us for being old school and saying www dot. But how did I get to that? Uh, because you were talking about being at the conference. Conference! Talking conference, about carousel. Conference. Okay, great. So at the conference, um, I had some nice conversations with a whole bunch of people. And the ASC conference is an interesting one because the people there are not obsessively online. Right. So okay. you're, they're not like your classic research ed or cog sci sci um type bods they're like run-of-the-mill you know not total nerdos like we yeah. are okay fair and, point um, i had a very interesting conversation with a fella and um amy if i said to you what does traditional and progressive education mean how would yeah. you answer me in one minute oh um what how do they differ or what's each one yeah just like a really broad outline like what, what they do what they mean um well i would say traditional teaching is 
um, teaching kids stuff <laughs> and progressive teaching is expecting kids to teach themselves stuff they know nothing about. Grant. Yep. Did that work? Yeah. So like the difference between explicit instruction and like discovery, inquiry, project. Yes. Yeah, yeah cool. just in slightly rougher terms. Yeah, good. So I agree. Um, obviously, we could do a whole um, evening on that stuff, but, but, but broadly, yeah. Now, this guy came up to me and we were chatting and he said, you know, he's, he's, he's in this department and, you know, he, he's like him and a couple of others. They're like really progressive and everybody else are like it's like really traditional and like it's it's a lot of hard work and i was like oh that's interesting um can you like because he's like trying to drive the department forwards and he's like a self-confessed progressive that's what he's right. saying i have a theory about these terms traditional progressive um and i wanted to see if my theory was right and i tested it <laughs> on this guy um and i was like what exactly do you mean by traditional and progressive and he was like, well, you know, there's a lot of teachers in the department. They've been there like a very long time and they just put the PowerPoint on and they just walk through the PowerPoint and then the kids do a worksheet. And I was like, okay, what do you do? He's like, oh, well, like, I try and ask like lots of questions and like use mini whiteboards and try and use like a slightly um, more like organic approach to explanations. And I try not to just like punch my way through a PowerPoint. Okay. And I, I was like, that is yeah. That yeah right that sounds more like traditional teaching to me exactly because i don't i think what, what he meant when he said traditional progressive by progressive he just meant i guess um he he teaching so, kids stuff <laughs> yeah so when he said progressive he meant what i would call traditional teaching yeah and and the reason why i think it's interesting is because my theory is that we have a lot of like online discussions about philosophy of education and stuff like that. And mm. I guess it's not really, a th it's not a theory because, you know, I get, I get to see hundreds of lessons, right? I saw 300 lessons last year. I've seen 200 already so far this year. And like all of these like debates about philosophy and traditional education and progressive education and social constructivism and group work and project work, discovery based learning and inquiry based learning and explicit instruction and direct instruction and capital D, capital I, little case, lowercase e, lowercase i, all of that stuff, right? Yeah. Is not what's happening on the ground because the dominant method of instruction, the dominant method of teaching in this country, certainly science, I don't know necessarily about other subjects, but the dominant method of teaching in this country is just smashing your way through a PowerPoint. Hmm. And like that, that's not traditional or progressive. No, it's just bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Tell us what you really think. Well, I mean, do you know, I can see how it happens because like I look at sort of what like our key stage three curriculum looks like and there is a set curriculum to cover that is supported by PowerPoints. But we're not trained as a department to bash through the PowerPoint, right? We're trained to use it and think about how we teach stuff rather than bash through the PowerPoint to a worksheet. Um, so I can see how it becomes um, lethally mutated. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I think your department and the way that, I think the way that you use PowerPoint like that is not, is not the norm. No. And I always think it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, th I think the norm is just, this is the PowerPoint, this is my lesson, this is what I'm just going to get on with. And, and I think everyone can say, oh, well, you know, we don't advocate that or blah, 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 whatever. But I, I see it the whole time. Yeah, you're seeing it. On, you're obviously seeing like a massive scale, aren't you? Whereas like, I only really see what happens in our school, sometimes in other departments, mostly in my own department. So mm. I, yeah, you've got a really interesting viewpoint, to be fair. You see the real stuff. Yeah, yeah, and people don't people, people don't believe me. They th they tell me that I'm you know that I, that I can't be right, or you know nobody ever advocated that. And I'm like, well, maybe nobody ever advocated that. Fine, but <laughs> we are where we are. Yeah, but it's still happening. Like you've literally seen it. Yeah, and I just think it's super interesting that because I think these terms aren't great. Like you, the use of the word traditional and the use of the, mm. the use of the word progressive here don't really match up with like the thing that they're describing um yeah because like... I, I tend to think like when i think about like what progressive means now 
I think there's certain viewpoints that I hold, probably not just in, in teaching, probably just like more widely, um, that I would consider are progressive and other people would consider our traditional because they might not be like the socially accepted thing that everyone believes in. So like most people tend to think they're a progressive, like politically, don't they? Mm. And actually quite often some of those views, when you break them down, aren't really that progressive at all. They're just labeled that way because they're slightly more left wing. I don't know. It's just a theory that I've got going on in my in my head. Yeah, I, I look. I I think there's yeah, it's a complicated beast because you've got the difference between like social progressivism and uh, political, not polit but like economic, more progressive type policies, and then you have social conservatism and economic conservatism. Like they don't always quite match up. No. Um, so like. You know, you can have someone who is socially conservative but economically liberal, uh, and vice versa. And it turns into these like those quadrants that you see online, and you end up. Yeah, saying, where are you on the little grid? Yeah, and you find out that you're like twenty five percent Lib Dem, fifty percent Labour, and twenty five percent UKIP. And I'm like, oh, what? what? Where, where did the UKIP stuff come from? Oh, it's because there's a button that said, "I like drinking pints in the pub." Like, All right, yeah, UKIP, there you are. Big fan of a pint of wine. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually don't really like wine all that much. Well, I don't drink, but I, when I did drink, I would have loved a good pint of wine. No, well, people tell me that oh, it's an acquired taste. I'm like, well, why, why would I waste time drinking something I don't yeah. like in the vain hope of liking it in 10 years' time? No, that's like red wine. Even, even when I did drink, I can't understand why you'd ever willingly drink vinegar. No, give it me sweet and bubbly and I'm happy. Yes. <laughs> That's going to go on my tombstone. It is, isn't it? I quite like that. Adam Boxer, sweet and bubbly. <laughs> yeah, everybody who's met me knows that I'm sweet and bubbly. <laughs> you're not, you're a pint of red wine, mate. <laughs> Bitter, full of tannins, and I'll give you a headache in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Should, we, should we just set it with a quiet taste? Yeah, you're in a quiet taste. I think someone, we both someone, are. Someone actually did say to me at the conference, they came up to me, they said, you know what, you're a lot nicer in person than you are online. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been trying so hard to be nice I've been as trying well. to be a nice person. I have, I have. Um, I have been trying. I'm not very... Not nice. this week, you haven't. You have been firing <laughs> off left, right and centre, mate. No, no. That is a good segue, though. Right, shall we compose ourselves and, yes. and segue over? Because um, attendance is in the news again. It is again, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do you want to start off or do you want, do you want me to, to run with this one? Well, I can, I can talk a little bit about it. Because um, it's something we've talked about previously, haven't we? In one yeah. of our episodes, two, three, one of them at some point. Um, it all blends into the loveliness. Um <laughs> But it's a persistent issue in schools, let's be honest. So it's it should rightly be a persistent issue that's that's talked about nationally. Um, and so in some ways I'm like, well, good, because it's a big problem that we need to be talking about and we need to be working on. Um, and when you look at the levels of persistent absenteeism over the, you know, the whole nation, um, it's more than a fifth, isn't it? 21%, something like that, where they're missing 10% of school. Yeah. Um, and that's terrifying. Yeah, it's a really astonishingly <laughs> awful statistic, isn't it? It really, and I think like, when I think about when I started teaching, it was nowhere near that. Like I remember, especially like when I first started, like um, as an assistant head a year, I'm going back at least a decade here. Um, but like the minute, attendance dropped below 96%. I, for my year group, I was like, oh my God, panic stations, we have got a problem. Um, no, that, that, that's changed. <laughs> like, we've most, got, we've got a different would, problem now. Most schools would kill for 96. Yeah, absolutely. I think, 
I'd be we'd be hard pressed to find a school I think now with ninety six percent attendance. Yeah. yeah. If anyone's got one or works in one, please let us know. I would love to hear about it. Um. So part of the discussion that's been sort of online is around the reasons sitting underneath this, and I think it comes back down to complex problems don't have simple solutions. And I think it's really good that people are talking about that. Um, there was the report by the Centre for Social Justice in November time um, that sort of outlined really how bad things were. It talked about sort of lockdown, um, physical illnesses, mental health, bullying, violence, all those sorts of things sitting underneath it. And I think that really outlines for me, the complexity sitting underneath it. Um, and one of the things I'm finding a bit frustrating is that people are trying to put really simple labels on the problem. Um, and I think it's more than that. Yeah. Yeah, it would be easy to like point to, everyone's, everyone's basically got their axe out. Yes. Right? And whatever political feeling that they have about something that's not right in the world, they're bringing it back to attendance. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like, um, um, sorry, I just wanted to like pick up one thing because, because I, I have to apologize because I think I confused things because you said the CSJ, the Centre for Social Justice report was not, yeah. it was just last week. They published oh, it. Oh, I'm, I'm really date. sorry. I wrote in the notes, I wrote a little snide remark, which was that in November, 2022, because oh, who, who are I'm looking for the date going, when was it? Oh, November. No, it's my fault. No, that's uh, you being snidey. Yeah, I was being snide because um, I wrote, <laughs> I didn't know who the Centre for Social Justice were, so I do some do some Googling. And um, in November 2022, the funding, they're a think tank, right? We always hear about these think tanks, Tufton yeah. Street, the think tanks. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what the think tank is. Um, and so in November 20, 2022, the funding transparency website, Who Funds You, who look at these different think tanks and try and figure out who they're funded by, because a lot of them is quite shady money. They gave the CSG an E grade, which is the lowest transparency rating. And this is the problem with some of the big reports, isn't it? Like, how, do you, how can you trust where they're coming from? Well, I don't know. Uh, there's a whole um, there's a whole constellation of people who tend to hate these think tanks and whatever they say. Um, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I feel like that I only have so much anger in me <laughs> and like you know attention to trying to hunt these hunt all this stuff down and see conspiracies everywhere. Who knows? Maybe they're good. Maybe they're not. Either way, they published this report. Yeah, um, the stuff that's in it seems fairly reasonable to me. To be fair. Yeah, it does. And it kind of jives with reality. And, and, and just to hop back to where we were before, um, it's just confirming everything that everybody already thought about education and stuff like that. So so the, the best the best example ever of this was the AI stuff. So when OpenAI and ChatGPT came out, immediately, immediately, the internet was flooded with some people saying, this, this is the end of traditional schooling as we know it. And this is why yes. we need to teach children 21st century skills and how to be smarter than an AI and why knowing facts is obsolete. And then you had other people saying, this is exactly why we need traditional schooling and why we need traditional assessments. <laughs> you know, uh, Almost like it was predictable. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I confess that maybe I get carried along with that sometimes myself too. Um, but the same thing has happened here with, um, with the attendance. So yeah. on the one hand, you have people saying that, um, well, traditional schooling sucks. Um, conservative government has caused, well, it's not caused, but, te you know, teachers and head teachers in line with the conservative government and an Ofsted driven accountability regime have led to, led to schools that are fossilized and ossified and restrictive and oppressive uh, and carceral and mean. Um, and children are feeling anxious and they're worried about school and being made to follow rules and their uniform um and they've got bad mental health and they're worried about the climate no jokes someone actually said that and then they're um, and they're staying home because of that um that's on the one the end. climate yeah well children are very worried about the climate um i started oh. teaching my year 11s my year 11 and this is the separate scientist this is like it's not quite top set but it's like they're really bright and they really care yeah. about science and stuff and they just, um, I'm like teaching them the atmosphere unit. I'm like, this is the most important thing in the world. And they're just looking at me like, 
Here he goes again. He shuts the stuff so we can pass out. <laughs> they didn't seem particularly anxious, to be honest. Um, uh, they were certainly not a reason to not come to school, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and actually, the opposite should be true. If you're anxious about the climate, you should want to go to school to learn more about the climate. Anyway, but that, that's what that's what kind of one half. Yeah, the other half is saying that look, some of these kids aren't coming to school because they're bullying. This is why we need silent corridors. Uh, and I'm like, yeah. uh, and then. You know, also saying, you know, these kids, when they're staying home, they're not having access to the, they're just doing this free exploratory learning -y type stuff. And they need to be taught by an expert teacher and inculcated into the, uh, the, the you know, the canon of the, the, the goods of society and the best of that, which has been thought and said and yada, yada and stuff like that. So, so it does seem like people have dug in. Um, and again, perhaps I might have got involved in that kind of stuff too online. Maybe who knows? Sounds very unlike you. But the problem is that that we don't we don't really know we don't really know what's driving it. No, there's not, and this is what I think um, needs to be the priority. And whether that is for a current Tory government or an incoming Labour government, um, they need to invest some resources into finding out what the problem is. Me. No, do you know what it was? This won't surprise you. It was Microsoft Update Assistant bugging <laughs> me yet again to run my updates, which have I you, don't want you, to do. Have so you I'm going to click it? not now and tell it very politely, go away. Oh boy, okay. Um, you got the little paper clip, Clippy. Do you remember Clippy? So again, I remember Clippy. This little thing that pops up is not like Clippy at all. This little thing is annoying. Is there anything you can do about it? I could run my updates. <laughs> Maybe that's what you should be doing after we finish recording, Amy. Yeah, I could, but I, I, it's just not who I am. Fine. Anyway, um, so back to the Centre for Social, because there was political fallout from this, um, aside from just teachers bickering online. Yeah. Um, so they pointed, you know, to, like you said, um, um, the, the, there are issues to do with mental health and anxiety, bullying, threat of violence, and all of the, you know, it's absolutely awful that a child should stay home because of stuff like that. But stuff like that has happened since time immemorial. Um, yeah. That to me doesn't feel new. It's not um, new, no. Maybe, maybe it's increased. Who knows? We don't, you know, the, they don't have what's called longitudinal data. So they take their data point at the moment, mm. and they're surveying and interviewing people right now, but we don't know what the same results sorry what the results for the same questions were four years ago because we yeah. don't have that information yeah um, there was one really interesting point about um communication between parents and schools so so parents have again since time immemorial complained that the school doesn't communicate with them well enough but there was what was one particular thing that that made me pause for reflection which is especially about dance um so Ooh. about uh, I can't remember what they said, but like about like forty to fifty percent of kids live in homes where they where their mum and dads don't live in the same home. Yeah. Right? So they're separated, divorced, whatever it is. Um, and the kind of standard communication route is from the school to the mum, and yeah. the dad is often not included, despite yeah. the fact that in a lot of management information systems, so your Sims or your Arb or your Bromcom, whatever, they're listed as priority one alongside the mother yeah and i thought that was quite interesting that is quite interesting isn't it yeah did it say like where that had come from had that come from kids themselves had it come from parents no, that was from the that was from the parents that was from yeah. when they surveyed the parents that's what the dads were saying interesting so it said, for example, um, one specific issue repeatedly raised by respondents was poor communication when parents were no longer living together, particularly communication with fathers. So those are sample responses in their own words. I yeah. feel as a father separated from the mother, I'm communicated less with than the mother. Or the only contact, they only contact my ex-wife, not me. They do not engage with me at all. Even though I have joint custody and shared parental rights, everything is communicated through my ex-wife. Yeah. And I think that is like from a purely operational level, from somebody who does a lot of contact and communicating with parents um, in, in the nicest possible way. If I had to do every piece of communication with two sets of parents separately, I would 
there would need to be two of me <laughs> because yeah. it would it would double double workload and so it's an important factor and it's certainly something that right, but why do you pick the mum and not the dad that's I look at, Why to be mother? fair, I look at who's priority one and I speak to them. Or if I know that it's like a 50-50 situation, I ask the kid, who are you staying with this week? And I ring that parent. Yeah. So, if it's so sort of I know that I... Move between the two. Go on. I, I have to examine my own bias here. I know that I've defaulted to mum loads. Yeah. And I think also there are some... Um, kids that I teach where I get to know who's more effective yes um, yeah that is that I is, know that yeah when I call mum doesn't nothing happens when I call dad something does happen or vice versa yeah um and there are some that I won't bother calling because I know they just like waffle forever or talk nonsense stuff like that and I'll call mm. the other one um but yeah I I think I need to kind of examine my own bias there um, yeah, it's always worth considering, isn't it? And I, what I what I do tend to try and do is make sure that um, the same information is relayed where I know, like if a family are separated and have no contact between the parents, so communicating between themselves as a unit is not mm. going to happen for whatever reason. Um, I will always try and communicate with the other parent because obviously the the one that I'm speaking to isn't going to do that and they do both need to know the same piece of information. Um sometimes these parents they hate each other. Yeah. And you kind of have to communicate both ways. Yeah, it's like when so so growing up, um in in our in, in, in our community we didn't have like you know, my parents had a big circle of friends and I knew all of them and I knew their kids and blah blah blah. And there were very, very few of them who were separated yeah and then I like really vividly remember when I first started in my first school and I was a form tutor and um there was I can't remember what was the kids needed to bring in sorry I've got cold again the kids needed to bring in one pound for the cooking thing the, the food tech or whatever yeah and um there was a kid in my form who couldn't who only had 50p because her parents hated each other so much that they insisted on giving exactly 50% of everything. So she was staying with mum. So her mum gave her 50p. And because she didn't have a chance to, when she saw her dad on the weekend, to ask him for the 50p or whatever. And it meant that she couldn't do, like, obviously, we, <laughs> we sorted her out, right? Because yeah. <laughs> that's insane. But, like, like how. Oh, it's and just, I just remember just it's really sad isn't it because the only person that loses in that situation is the kid and you may well have very strong issues against each other and I'm not talking about where there's been like court orders or abuse or anything like that just a plain old separation um you might have your issues between each other but the one thing you've got in common is your kid and it, if you're gonna if your behavior is making that worse then that's just going to compound the issue Oh, how selfish do you have to be? I know. So Although I do feel a little bit bad here because I'm sat here saying why I think I don't have kids. So I, who knows? I might turn into that person one day. <laughs> uh, Amy, you won't. <laughs> okay. I will, I will stop you. <laughs> no, I just, I like, no, I, I don't, I, I don't think you, I think that, I think you, what you're touching on is like the broader, there's that Windows update again. <laughs> Shut up. Um, what, what you, what you, you can turn your notifications off as well you know that right i don't know what i'm doing with that that's you it's because um, i don't use this lap i only use this laptop to do this right right okay um there we go anyway uh look th there are things that i think you're right that as a person without children so if a person doesn't have children there are some things that they, they shouldn't talk about or weigh in in terms of their mm. opinion there are loads of things that you are perfectly entitled to your opinion about. And yeah. like you said, if, if there's been a court order or whatever, fine. But however bad your separation, you know, if she slept with your brother or he slept with this or whoever it is, you know, whatever you've done, you know, however bad it is, right, to take it out on each other such that your child loses out to that extent, like what must that kid feel going into school? 
Yeah. Like, and they're and their going knows in... that their parents are at war. Yeah. And that's never, that's not going to contribute to a healthy attendance rate either, is it? Like you need parents on the no. same page working with each other. Like for a lot of kids coming into school with 50p instead of a quid would be mortifying. Like if I put myself in that situation, I'd be mortified having to turn up and be like, sorry, my mom and dad would only give us 50p each and I couldn't get 50p off my dad. That for some kids is enough to go, do you know what? I'm going to pretend I've got a migraine today. Yeah, screw it. Mm. Screw it. Anyway, so I guess the moral of this story is uh, consider your biases, um, email dad as well. And, yeah. and actually, in so I don't know about the other management information systems, but we use Arbor our school, and you can send a like it can send a mail merge from within Arbor. So you all can right. just select loads of kids and their parents, send one email, and it goes to all of them, and it names them all individually, and blah blah blah. Uh, and you can make sure it sends an email to both parents. Yeah. So well, that's yeah. good. I don't think Sims is, yeah, although I don't. My working knowledge of Sims probably isn't as good as it could be um but sims isn't renowned for being user friendly either so i'm not sure we can do that as easily as you can yes well we could do another episode about sims because i'm quite fond of sims well i was You're fond of sims i haven't used it in a little while fond but their, of sims. their business management um i really liked sims yeah i really did because once you i sims have never really met powerful. sorry no 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 i have never met anyone that has said i am quite fond of sims I have met people that say Sims makes me want to launch myself um, through the window. It makes me want to throw things and punch things. Nobody has ever said, I actually quite like it. Well, there we go. You're an enigma. Yes. Why do you like Sims? <laughs> Sorry, well, I did like this Sims. is me being mind blown. So I did like Sims because um, uh, it was really powerful for reporting. So it was very easy to build reports. Um, and essentially what okay we can, we we're going down the super nerd hole now right <laughs> okay so when you uh, so essentially the the management information system holds data within it yeah right and what you can do is you can tell the management information system to spray out that data so for example you could say just give me a list of everyone's name and their tutor group right yeah. and it will export that into excel right yeah um now there are a couple of blockers here. The first is um, building complexity into your report. So do you want names? Do you want tutor groups? Do you want their um, pupil premium status? Do you want their number of behavior points, their attendance data, their gen, all of that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and you can build simple reports and complex reports. You can nest the reports. Um, you can do different characteristics and, and you can do that in most management information systems. I just got really used to doing it in Sims and thought the interface for that was, was quite user-friendly and helpful. But the real power um, was when, basically, when it sprays that data out, it sprays it onto just a blank spreadsheet, a brand new spreadsheet. Yeah. And those that data is can often be weirdly formatted. So numbers appear as text, text appears as numbers, percentages crop up all over the place, things aren't sorted correctly, all of that stuff. Weird things can happen. But what Sims built is something called the basic. Um, and the basic is a spreadsheet. <laughs> we've just lost about millions of yeah everyone's just knocked it up gone adam's having a, a spreadsheet completely fallen asleep but, but basically what 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 the basic did was it formatted it was a macro so it was a spreadsheet that already had um kind of programming running behind it which meant that when you spray the data onto the spreadsheet it processed it for you okay right and what that meant is that you could you could put your own code into the macro so yeah. what you could do is let's say let's say you you export the data for every child in the school and how many behavior points they've got right yeah you could then on that spreadsheet you could then um what's called record a macro which is where you record the process of taking all of that data and turning it into a neat table that shows you for each year group how many behavior points you've got what the behavior points were for as a pie chart, for example. So you can see, oh, you know, 30% are due to homework and 20% are due to this. And you could categorize them as well. So normally in your dropdown, you've got like 25 items. So it's rudeness to staff, refusal to follow instructions, low level disruption, all of that. So you could tell the spreadsheet to group those things together. And then yeah. you could say, right, well, if I just group all of these disruption things together, this is how many behavior instances I've got. If I group all of these organization things together, like homework and pen and exercise books, 
um, et cetera, et cetera. And what, what you could do is if you did that once, you could then program that into the basic, which meant yeah. that anytime you ran the report, it did it for you. So you'd double click a button and you'd get a giant spreadsheet that had loads of charts, loads of tables, um, loads of really useful information and analytics. Uh, and that's why I really liked Sims. Wow. I I have no knowledge of how to do anything like that on Sims. Thankfully, Class Chats does it for me quicker than me learning how to work Sims and then wait for the infinite donut of doom to ruin my day. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was slow. That was true. That's true. Oh, it was slow. slow? Gee whiz. Anyway, let's move on. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, so... <laughs> Okay, so so we had lots of these problems, but but by the way, the big chunk that they're saying in the CSJ report was that a large proportion of these absences are due to just physical illness, just people being ill. Okay? Yeah. Right. So that report came out, and now we have to hit a timeline. Do you want to take us through the timeline? Yes. So timeline starts this this year, um, and we have um, Bridget Philipson tweeting about attendance or Xing, whatever you wish to call it. Um, and she's sort of doing the media rounds based on the back of the story that's in the Times, which is based on the CSJ report, um, which basically was summarized down to one in four parents thinking it's okay for kids to skip school. Um, I remember seeing this on Breakfast TV the other day and I knocked it off because I was just like, not now. Um, I'm trying to. <laughs> get ready to go to work please don't do this to me um and about the same time day later dfe starts with their um pretty jazzy graphics about it didn't they um moments yeah. matter attendance counts um yeah, what do you think and about that they've got a big campaign what do you think about moments matter as a slogan for the attendance campaign i think it's I think they're right. The message is correct, right? Moments do matter and moments in school can be really important and they can be a tiny little thing or a really big thing. Um, it can be a piece of learning. It can be progress. It can be something happening in your friendship group socially. Don't disagree with the intention. Um, I just, it feels like yet another slim down forward Tory slogan that they hope is going to help the problem. Um, Stop the boats. Yeah. What was the Brexit one? Uh, get Brexit done. That was it. We've got, see, so we've got, it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? And so that automatically puts me off because I'm like, stop, stop, do, this is annoying me. Well, we could. Well, then Gillian Keegan, this is quite funny though, right? Because Gillian Keegan then did her own version using yeah. the same branding and everything. And um, she had a picture of like this smiling kid on the front. And what did it say on it? It was like, this morning, this child had, had a, a runny, runny nose. nose. <laughs> yes. He had a runny nose. Now look at him. <laughs> right? And it, <laughs> He's like happy as Larry is in the picture, like smiling away, beaming, living his best life. Like absolutely belting day this kid's had. Well, they should have gone for a slogan, slogan, stop the sniffles. <laughs> How long have you been waiting to say that? No, I came on 30 seconds. I had to build it because I had to do the Gillian Keegan thing so I could then do the stop the sniffles. Yeah, you did. Stop the sniffles. I'm quite and then, do you know what, though? Like, much as I laughed a little bit at the pictures and it annoyed some people because it was a slightly simplified take on the problem that's quite complex, um, I do think. They're on the right track with a part of the problem, not the whole problem. But there is a need, in my opinion, for what the government are referring to as a recalibration of appropriate reasons for kids not to come to school. I think that has got a little bit out of sync with where we were previously. Um, I think clearly the pandemic has not helped and that has changed people's views on sending kids into school when they are ill. Um, I think sometimes kids are off school and I'm talking about like, I'm not talking about kids with EBSA, for example, or kids with really complex mental health issues or safeguarding. Issues. I'm not talking about anything about that. I'm talking about the kid that wakes up and thinks, I'll just tell me, mum, I've got a sore throat. And so mum lets them stay off or dad lets them stay off or whoever they live with lets them stay off. Like I go to work with a sore throat. 
So like, I'm going to have a sore throat whether I'm at home or at school. So let's just crack on and get on with the day, shall we? Like, I feel like that's a message that we can benefit from sharing nationally because it's quite hard for schools to do that in isolation. Um, like we can't all plug away in our individual schools having those difficult conversations about attendance when there isn't like a national picture as well, like a this is the calibrated norm of what is normal parenting. Do you see what I mean? I, I completely agree. And this is kind of something that we've discussed before. Um, and I think, I think part of the root of this is as follows, right? That in attendance has gone from like, you know, four to 5% to nine to 10%. Okay. Right? Yeah. Now, and suddenly and rapidly. Okay? Yeah. And it, that can't be explained by that, that jump can't be explained by any change that schools have made because broadly schools are the same as they were four years ago. Yeah. Right. And six years ago and seven years ago, but attendance was better then. Um, so, you know, however much people online like to say, well, all schools are fascist now, um, they didn't immediately turn fascist like over the last <laughs> six months. Right. That's not how, guys, this is Whoa. not how fascism works. <laughs> it takes its time. Uh, but right. Put it like this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say yeah. historically, you've always had some kids who um, who can't be in school, right? Because yeah. they're ill uh, or because they're extremely anxious, they're being bullied. Um, and so for, for a whole host of reasons, there are children who don't go to school that day. Yeah. What if we exacerbated every single one of those? Because effectively, what you do is you say, right, well, the kid is deciding whether or not to go to school. Their mm -hmm. parents are deciding whether or not to send them to school or their parents are deciding whether or not to have that fight with them to get them into school. Yeah. All of those things. Right. And, and you, you think of it as like, like a, like a, like a for and against type table thing. Right. And you get, you reach a, you reach a point of equilibrium right a point of balance where some children are obviously not going to be going to school and some people are obviously some children are obviously going to be going to school and then you have a group in the middle which could have gone either way um and you know end up either going to school or not going to school but then post pandemic that's why i think this headline from the csj is so important so important i'm going to read it out because it says as follows um give me uh one second then no, no. so it's from the introduction it says oh god i just had it literally open in front of me where was it Ah, here it is. Okay. School is still seen important, okay, but lockdown has impacted the perceived necessity of school attendance. So the majority of parents, which is 88%, agree that every single day of school matters and it is vital children attend schools as much as possible. I agree too. Yeah. Second bullet point. However, it is clear that lockdown has had some impact on parents' attitudes towards school attendance. Almost three in 10 parents agree that the pandemic has shown it is not essential for children to attend school every day. And yeah. they are specifically saying the pandemic has shown this. Possible causes for that could be things like, um, well, they've seen their kids, you know, on a computer at home learning mm -hmm. um, or their kid went through lockdown and didn't go to school much. And it didn't seem to make much of a difference to the parents or this kind of general distrust in institutions um, mm. that we have discussed. Um, or my friend, um, you know, Bill Wilkinson, friend of the pod, who we've actually mentioned yeah. once already because he's one of the Springboard authors. He he's constantly, constantly um, reminding folk that the government chose to reopen pubs before schools. Yes. So at the point where the government is saying, right, let's start reopening stuff, right, to start relieving a bit of the pressure on the lockdown, they chose to open pubs before they chose to open schools. And when you're choosing to say, right, well, which, you know, <laughs> which thing is most important to open and get back start getting back to normal when you choose something like the pub you know what what kind of message are you sending and all of those headlines from the time about you know teachers being lazy and not wanting to get back to school and you know being you know, communists and stuff like that and, and all of that stuff um saying the teachers aren't heroes because they don't want to go back to school <laughs> because they don't want to <laughs> transmit a deadly virus to their children and all their family like but but all of that stuff erodes public trust mm. and public confidence yeah. and and for me what what could be happening and again we don't have data here we don't know the answer but what could be happening is that that just adds a tiny bit into the against column yeah right? and if you're hovering between the four and between the against whereas before you might have just tipped over to the four side now 
you might just be tipping over to the against side. So yeah. it could be the case that it's not one single thing, that one single thing is just thinking of school as not that important anymore. And that influences all of those middle decisions. It doesn't affect the kids who are in every day. And it doesn't affect the kids who were never going to be in because they couldn't be in because they have totally legitimate and understandable um, reasons. But all of those kids in the middle, first, it might expand that bracket of the number of children who are actually in the middle and who, who are hovering between the two. And it might increase the number, the proportion for each one of those reasons. So if you're ill, right, do you force yourself to go in or do you say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter that much, you know? Someone who like really cares about their work is probably more likely to drag themselves out of bed and get in the door than someone who's like, eh, whatever. All, mm. you know, all of those things will, will add together to have a small effect on each category, on each group. And that ends up having like quite a, quite a catastrophic effect on the whole. Yeah, it, it's that cumulative impact in the middle ground, isn't it? I, I do think you, you're probably right about that. And that it's that that middle ground that's swayed that's responsible for a good a good chunk of the change that we're seeing and it, what also worries me is how that now has become such a long-term habit that it's really difficult to change that but the damage that's been done by that over time it's culture that's a that's a decade if not more before that we can revert that back it's have you have you seen any solutions that you think are workable or would be effective? No. <laughs> it's disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I um I think it's just really difficult. Like if a parent says I'm not sending my kid in and you go I really think they could come in and they say no. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like that we are where we are. Um I think in some circumstances helping parents to have to take the decision off them probably is is a way to go. So saying, Well I tell you what, how about we meet in the middle, you send them in and we'll decide if they're ill enough to go home. So yeah. that you're taking the difficult bit, the bit that's become habitual, the habitual thing of them saying, Yeah, you can stay off. We'll take that off you yeah. and we'll make that decision. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's quite nice. I like that. Um, I'm sure people would have a problem with that on account of the fact that it's just more things for a school to do, more abrogation of parental responsibility. Yeah, I mean, it's... But... You've got to get the kid in school. You've got to be pragmatic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, the, let's look at the bigger picture. We want our kids to be in school. And I think that you said something before about how parents, some of the views that it talks about in that report are like, well... Um, the, my kid hasn't been to school during lockdown and, and they're fine. Yeah. If they're persistently absent from school, they're not fine. Like yeah. that, that, <laughs> that def if, if that's the issue, there, there is, there is a problem there because the normal social expectation is that your child will be at school and they'll be learning and they will do well and they will be socializing with their peer groups and they'll be having important life moments and important moments in their development. Um, if they're not doing that, then there is a problem. But I don't think that message is as national as it could be. Well, you can't give that message until you're in office. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be rude to parents and tell them they're wrong uh, until you're the boss. Um, and and Labour's plans to me seem you know inoffensive but nothing there you know they've got things like a register for homeschool children everyone agrees that we need this register for homeschool children it's safe yeah but I, that's not the problem and that's not but that's not those aren't the kids we're talking about no they're also talking about they would use artificial intelligence classic oh, i know don't, honest to god i read that and i was just <laughs> like ah yes yeah, sound that'll really help thanks let me let me read it out in full for the punters, right? Are you gonna set you're gonna set me on edge? It's okay. gonna be like when I had to knock Good Morning Britain off. Labour would use something computer based. Does that help? <laughs> something computer on the computer net. Yeah. Magic mathematical <laughs> things in a computer box. Right. To identify absence <laughs> trends by joining up, here we go, existing records for children and improving coordination between education, social care, and the wider services that support families. Good luck with that. Yeah, um, what services? Yeah, exactly. There aren't any. What social care? Yeah, um, there isn't any. There's a reason why there's no coordination between these groups. A, because yeah. the groups don't they exist. They don't exist. <laughs> and B, because nobody's got time and everybody hates each other. 
Uh, yeah. And then we've got Ofsted are going to review absence as part of annual safeguarding spot checks. Fine. Which they do anyway. Well, but also, like, what difference is it going to make? Like, you can you can yell at schools all you like and tell them to improve absence, but if they, if they can't physically do it, they can't physically do it. Um, introduction of evidence-based early language interventions. Uh, okay. Um, increased mental health support. Yeah, no problem with that. That right, might yeah. That's Actually, a tip. Uh, universal free breakfast clubs to help increase in attendance. We'll have to do that one another time because it's proper economically dodgy. Um, but but I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean, for me, like, I don't know what the one solution is here. I think there needs to be like like significant cultural messaging here, like you were talking about. But also, yep. we we um she retired last year actually, but we had an attendance officer at school who was genuinely amazing, right? And she the the reason why she was so good is because she was like a dog with a bone, and yeah. she would phone absolutely everyone and she knew all the parents she knew all the kids she knew who was staying with whose aunt and whose uncle and whose nan yeah. and whose grandpa and which person was taking the mick and which person wasn't taking the mick and exactly the right threats to use and like like fundamentally this lady does not have much by way of actual power right but but like she because she was forceful and because she followed everything up and like remember you don't need a lot for some of these guys if it's in the for and against column and you've got a 42 52 to 48 and you know that you're going to get a call from the school and they're going to have a you know a forceful conversation with you and tell tell me that i have to get my kid in and they're going to have a go at me and blah 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 and blah 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 and i'm going to get you know told off yada yada i can't be having with that in my life just get into school yeah you don't know what's going to make a difference right and it might not necessarily be something huge no and do you know what that role that attendance role in school i think is probably the single most important things a school can do with their own individual attendance issues there's all all kinds of national things that could go on um but fundamentally schools are community based provision and your attendance officer if you have somebody who's worked in your community for 20 odd years, oh, who people know, and we had one of these for lots of years and she'd be like, Hey, it's Jill. Where are they at? Yeah. Yeah. Right, I'm getting in bus. I'm coming. And they'd be out yeah. and the kid would be in like that. Or yeah. it would be, Oh, how's your mother doing? How's it? Oh, I saw you, you know, I seen your auntie down the street. That, that kind of community relationship, the positive regard, the, the time that goes into developing relationships with a community, that's the thing I think can make actually make a difference. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, and I think, by the way, that is a wonderful point to stop because people like that, those attendance officers, um, are like unsung heroes. Absolutely. And I think it's absolute gods and goddesses of the world. By paying tribute to such stalwarts of the community. And and like fund fundamentally, right? You can be the best teacher in the world, but if the kid isn't in front of you, yeah, forget it. Yeah, and if sure. that person yeah. in the office who you don't even know exists, or you just pass in the corridor and say good morning, but you don't know their name, if that person gets the kid in front of you, they've done a pretty important job. Yeah, they really have. Cool. Let's stop there then. Um, that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter, uh, sorry, X, whatever, and threads, or you can email me um, at adam at carousel-learning.com. And if you're not yet a subscriber to Carousel Learning, do consider booking in a demo via the website to see for yourself how it could transform your teaching practices. If you'd like to support the podcast, the very best thing you can do for us is to hit subscribe and let your friends know about us. Have a great weekend. Bye.